that's why we're here together. Um, and so uh, we're going to do that through singing. We're going to keep singing. We're going to do that through hearing the word. Uh, we're going to do that through fellowship and sharing. There's coffee over there. There's tea over there. Um, so we're going to do that through a number of ways, through giving as well. Um, and if uh, we're not going to pass the plate here this morning, but if you're a part of Waipuna Chapel and you've been here for a long time and this is your church, please give. This is uh, how we get to meet here. It's how we get to continue to gather together. Um, if you're new, and, and, and Pastor Kaipo always talks about this, he's like, if church and money go together and that's weird for you, then don't give. Just wait until you've got so much in your hands that you can't hold it anymore, and, and they give, hey? So, uh, and it, it won't go to me anyway. So, uh, but uh, I hope that you guys feel welcome and, and, and free to, to worship the Lord here this morning. Um, take whatever posture is comfortable for you in worship uh, as we go forward. And uh, I have a couple of announcements. The first one is uh, Wana is starting up. So uh, if you've got little ones, I know some of the families are still coming, so this announcement is going to be, you know, missed on them. But uh, Wana starts up. It's on Tuesday night, and it's up at the, the Kula campus. It will be every Tuesday going from 6 to 7.30, and it's from kindergarten all the way through 8th grade. So if you've got, uh, you got neighbors and you're like, oh, it would be so great, go talk to them. Go bring them. It's a, a lot of folks at Waipuna Chapel. This is the story of how they came to come to Waipuna Chapel was their kids started going to Iwana, and then they met the Lord through that. So bring them up. Um, bring them up. It's a great opportunity. There's actually there's going to be a bunch of YWAMers there, which is the group I work with. Uh, there's a bunch of YWAMers there helping lead the groups and things like that. So uh, let's be a part of that. Um, and if you're not a part of that, please be praying, especially as the, the year gets started. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of kids, which is a good problem to have. Um, but they need a lot of prayer. So uh, on Tuesday evening, if you're thinking about it, just lift up the Awana team in prayer. Um, and the second announcement is next Sunday uh, is Aloha Sunday for, for us here at Makawao. So there'll be food, there'll be a meal after the service. So bring something to share. Uh, I grew up calling it a potluck, but we don't call it that here. It's a pot blessing. So bring something, <laughs> bring something to give uh, to bless uh, your neighbors, and it can be an opportunity, you know, show off your best recipe. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm interested. So uh, bring something to share. Bring something uh, next Sunday, and uh, after service, we'll all just kind of rearrange the chairs, add some tables, and we will uh, celebrate the Lord together through a meal. Okay, right now, let's continue to praise our King this morning. with so many things God's been good to me I have family and friends who share in all I do What if I
God, we praise you this morning, King of Kings. Lord God, thank you so much for our lives, Lord, and all that you do. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love, for your people, Lord, for your forgiveness, for your grace, God. The list goes on and on for things that we are thankful for, Lord. And you continue to provide, continue to love, continue to forgive. It's amazing, Lord. We just give you all the praise, God. I pray for our service this morning, Lord, here in Makawa. I pray that you would bless everyone here, that our hearts would be open to receive you, Lord. May our lives be just uplifted, Lord, as we focus on you. I pray for my brother Cole this morning, Lord. God, I just pray that you would use him, Lord, as he has a message for us this morning, God. Just pray for this service, Lord. Let your presence be felt in this place, God. I thank you so much for our faithful community here, Lord, and for our tithes and offerings. And those of you put our trust in you, Lord, with our finances, Lord, I just pray that you would take it, multiply it, and use it around the world, Lord, in your kingdom. Yes, this morning, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Cole. It's really great to be with you guys. I, I work with Youth with a Mission, uh, which is a Christian nonprofit that the goal of it is just to raise up and train 18 to 25-year-olds or 18 to 25-year-olds at heart, if they're, <laughs> it's okay, uh, and then send them to the nations um, on semi-short, kind of long-ish, depends on your definition of short and long, uh, to the nations to uh, be missionaries there. Um, and so my wife and I, Valerie, have been working with YWAM for four and a half years now, and we're, we're definitely on the training side and less on the going side. We have three little ones, as you maybe have seen running around, and then the third one who does not run around just yet. Um, but it's really great to be with you guys, and uh, Makwa has been our, our home for, for a while now, and we're just very grateful to be a part of this church. Um, and so we're going to, if you want to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And uh, we've been in this series for a while here, this beautiful mess uh, series. And uh, this, is, this is certainly the most beautiful of, of, of all of the chapters of 1 Corinthians, except for maybe chapter 15. But it's, there's still a mess here that we're going we're gonna to look through. Um, so I'm going to read this whole chapter and then uh, I'll, I'll pray. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. 
As for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that we get to be together and (laughs) encircle your word and and be in it together. I thank you, Lord, that we um, get to be comforted and encouraged by your word, your unfailing character, your unchanging character. Lord, you have been so, so good to us. And we just thank you that you have spoken in a way we can understand in your word. So I just pray, God, this morning you'd bring clarity. And uh, Lord, unless you preach this sermon, the preacher preaches in vain. Lord, unless you build the house, the laborers labor in vain. So I just pray, Lord, that you'd come and speak. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) So if you'll you'll remember with me back to uh, what probably feels for some of you like a lifetime ago when we started this series in 1 Corinthians at the beginning of the summer, a lot has happened uh, since then. Um, this is actually, this 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage that Pastor Sean ended with the very first, when he was preaching on chapter 1. Um, he introduced us that uh, Sunday morning to the Corinthians, this church in Corinth. He introduced us to an ancient city that had lots of problems. And uh, he introduced us to these, this group of first-generation Christians in a city that was full of rampant sexual sin, a city full of idols. But Corinth was also a city full of educated, wealthy people who were very successful. This uh, was kind of the New York City of, of uh, you know, 50 AD. Um, it, it was a big question. There was a big question that Paul was trying to answer through this letter that Pastor Sean introduced us to um, a few months ago. And it, a big question that mattered to Paul, and it was how these first-generation Christians were going to interact with their city, with each other, and with their new true God. This was months and months ago, but uh, Sean showed us that there are different ways of engaging with culture, different ways of engaging with culture. There are folks who separate from culture, and they try to protect themselves, yeah? There are those who are indistinguishable from the culture around them. They just fit in with everything, and, and they just sort of, you know, seep in and, and look all the same. And he gave us a third group, those who don't separate and don't assimilate, but they're in it, and they're just utterly antagonistic toward the culture, lobbing criticism and judgment at everyone and everything. They're there, but they're cruel. Now, you may be one of these three. You may be, like I am, all three of these at different times, right? Depends on what the issue is. For some of them, I'm like, just get away from me. For some of them, I kind of probably look just like my neighbors. And for some of them, I'm like, you guys are so stupid, right? (laughs) I've done, I am all three of these at different times. But Sean, months ago, and Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 13, are offering us something different. Something different, the way of love. How are we to interact with our cities, our neighbors, our Christian brothers and sisters? The answer is really simple. It's love, right? At the end of chapter 12, We didn't read that this morning. I'm not actually sure why I didn't read it. But the very last sentence of chapter 12 is this, and now I will show you a more excellent way. 
And then Paul introduces us to love. Paul shows us love. Now, this, this chapter is sweet. Um, we read it at weddings, but this is a confrontation, chapter 13 is. This is an interjection between chapter 12 and chapter 14 that have everything to do with how the Corinthians are handling church and how they're handling when they gather together. And this chapter sits right in the middle of it. And the question is, how did the local church engage with the world in Corinth? The answer for the Corinthians was with their miracles, with their visions, with their prophecies, with their healings. They were gifted, brilliant people that came out of a revival in their city. But Paul confronts them. Paul is showing them that their love of the gifts and the power and the brilliance has outstripped and outpaced the love of their neighbors. And this is not how it is to be with followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are not to be defined by the flash and the show. They will be defined by the unique quality of their love. Followers of Jesus will not be defined by the power of the Spirit. They will be defined by the fruit of the Spirit in love. Jesus said this in his last conversation with his disciples in the book of John. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So followers of Jesus are to be known for love mainly. And this passage is going to show us how Paul breaks it down and and makes it clear for the people in Corinth a people who were truly struggling to love each other, as we will see, and who need to have real love even defined for them. Saying the word love is not sufficient. They didn't understand what the word meant. They didn't understand how to do it. They didn't get it. And so this passage is going to define love for us, and and we're going to find three things here. Three little paragraphs, we're going to find three things. The first thing we're going to find is the priority of love priority of love. The second thing, the character of love or definition, the character of love. And the third thing is the endurance of true love. These three things we're going to find here, we're going to find the priority of love, we're going to find the character of love, and we're going to find the endurance of true love. This passage is all about love. It's all about love. So let's read this, these first few verses together and let's talk about this priority or, or primacy or supremacy, whatever word you want to use here, let's read these first few verses and let's talk about the priority of love. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain Nothing. The first thing to say is really simple here. Love is the priority, right? Can he be clearer than he is? Love is the priority. Love is not secondary to the exercises of gifts in our church. Love is not secondary to the exercise of miracles in our church. Love is not secondary to the preaching of the word. Love is not secondary to the experience of the presence of God's power in our church. None of that comes before love. Love is the first thing. Love is the primary thing. Love is the supreme thing in a gathering of Christians. It must be. Or we are not what Jesus wants us to be. Period. When Jesus prays for his disciples and for us in John chapter 17, 
just before he leaves his disciples to go to the cross. If you guys remember that story, it's right at the end of the Last Supper. Jesus prays for them. He does not pray that we would cast out demons and speak in tongues. He doesn't. He prays that we would be unified in love. This is his last prayer for his followers. He prays that we would experience the love of the Father, and then we would love each other as he has loved us. That's a pretty high calling. These are his last words to his disciples, and he is concerned that they would love and be loved by the Father. That's his concern. These Corinthian believers took the gifts and the power and the revival, and they used it as a way to rank each other. They used it as a way to rank each other, as a way to line out who was in and who was out. Oh, you speak in tongues and you don't. Oh, you prophesy, you don't. They used the gifts of the Spirit to rank each other. In chapter 12, Paul tried to show them that the gifts were not for themselves. They were for their neighbors. They were to build each other up. Paul tried to show them this. The gifts were supposed to be a way to love their neighbors. The gift of prophecy was meant to be a way to give the word of the Lord as an encouragement to your neighbor. The gift of healing was meant to be a gift of love. The gift of teaching was meant to be a gift of love. But they took the gifts and they used them just as another way to rank and divide. So Paul makes four statements that he says are nothing without love. You speak in tongues, both of men and of angels, okay? You have prophetic powers granting knowledge of mysteries, okay? You have faith to move mountains, okay? You give away all you have and die a martyr, okay? But you have no love, then you are nothing then you have gained nothing. How can that be? And I just want to ask us, like, what kind of Christian do you hold in highest esteem? Do you hold the generous Christian who's constantly giving their time and their money? Do you hold the one with faith who seems always to be in prayer and then also seems to always find the blessing of God because they seem to always be in prayer and they're, maybe? Is it like many of the young people that I, I'm a young person. I'm not saying that I'm not. But I work with young people. That's, That's who I'm with all the time. Is it those visionary people who seem to have that special word from the Lord at the right moment that motivates to, you know? Is it the one who's seen the Lord perform miracles through their prayers? Are these the Christians that we hold in highest esteem? Or a second question, what stories in the Gospels about Jesus and what characteristics of Jesus Are you desiring the most? You read a story and you're like, oh, I want to be like that. I mean, listen, they're there for that. That's what they're for. I'm not, this is not a trick question. What picture of Jesus is the one that you love the most? Paul is not trying to downplay faith or miracles or healing or casting out demons or speaking in tongues. In fact, at the beginning of 14, the next chapter, he's going to say, desire these gifts. Desire them. What he's saying is that the exercise of these gifts separate from love, the the operation of these gifts apart from love is meaningless. It's empty. It is useless in the kingdom of God if it is not done in love. Because God knows your heart. God knows your heart. 
He's not trying to downplay the gifts. He's, he's going to spend a lot longer talking about them gifts than he does even about love. He's not trying to downplay them. He is trying to rightly order them in the hearts of his people. Does that make sense? He's not trying to downplay them. He's trying to line them out correctly. This is really what Paul is confronting the Corinthians about. They, they heard the gospel. They met Jesus and they wanted miracles and tongues and revivals and they didn't care about love. They didn't care about love. They had misaligned priorities, right? They had misordered priorities. Paul is gonna come back to this in verse 13. These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is meant to be utterly supreme in the lives of Christians, utterly supreme. It is meant to be the defining characteristic of a group of Christians, the defining characteristic of Christians. The greatest of these is love. What is to be the defining characteristic of a follower of Christ? It is a person who loves like Jesus loves. That's it. That is to be the defining, is there more? Oh yes, but there's no less. You understand? Is there more to being a follower of Jesus than just, yes, but there's never less than this. This is one. This is priority. This is it. And everything comes after this. As, as you've experienced, we, we read this passage at weddings. I'm, you've probably heard this, but that is not at all what Paul is speaking into here. If you remember from the rest of this letter, this beautiful mess, Paul is talking to a church that was divided over what we would essentially call now denominations. He's like, Paul, Apollo, like we've fallen different people, all divided up. A church that was tolerating unrepentant sin, which I had the pleasure, unfortunate, whatever, of talking about back in chapter five a few months ago about the unrepentant sin that was being practiced a church that was abusing and misusing spiritual gifts. This was a church that was a mess. This was a church that was engaging in practices and behaviors that more reflected the selfishness and unrighteousness of their culture than the love of God and his kingdom. And for Paul and for Jesus, the operation of gifts and miracles is absolutely secondary to the operation of the spirit in love in this community. And, and they just didn't have their ducks in a row. So yes, we, we, we ought to read this at weddings. We ought to encourage young couples. This is what love looks like. We ought to encourage old couples. This is what love looks like. But Paul is writing this to a church, to a group of believers who are in a mess, who are in a mess. But now we get to ask what kind of the famous question is, okay, fine, but what is love? What is love? What is this thing that Paul is calling them to. If it really is supreme and primary, it would probably be important for us to know what it is. Yes? Yes. yes. <laughs> there was a lot of confusion for the Corinthians. Uh, they argued about a lot of things. Uh, they were a mess, as we have discussed. They were clearly aware of the need for love, but they did not have any understanding, as can be seen by Paul's clear description here. There are a lot of times in his letters where he encourages believers to love one another, Nowhere else in his letters does he so clearly define what love is because they were so clearly confused about it. But this can be true for us too. We use the word love. Uh, people use this word all the time to describe all kinds of things. Uh, my feelings toward ice cream and my feelings toward my children is the same word. 
Okay, that's a little weird. Thank you, English. Uh, it's a little weird. Um, but it can also be used to describe actions, right? I was loving this person when I bought them dinner. I was loving this person when I forgave them. Whatever it is, we use this word often. We can call it love. We do. Our culture does. You probably have. I certainly have. Um, I was loving this person when I allowed them to go on in unrepentant sin because I wanted to be loving toward them, and so I didn't say anything. That's not love, as we will discover here. Or we can call it love. I've heard this too. We can call it love when we harshly judge someone because, you know, well, it's loving to tell the truth, as if that's all that matters. I told them the truth. That's it. They hate me now and everyone else. But hey, I told them the truth, and I, I honestly don't like them either. You know, we, we, can, we can go either direction here and call it love, as if that gives us a free pass to dishonor people, right? Our culture has a lot to say about what love is, and I'm sure we all have opinions. I'm sure there are times we ask everybody, like, what's a time you felt loved? Like, all of us would have a story. What's a time where you felt a person that you thought loved you did not treat you with love? I'm quite certain we all have a story for that one, too. But it honestly does not really matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we think love is. It matters what, that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us align ourselves with what God says love is. It, it doesn't matter what your opinion about love is. It matters what God says love is. It matters that we then align ourselves with what God has revealed to us about what love is and what love does. We are not going to be judged by whether or not we lived up to our culture's standard of love. We are not going to find peace because we gave in to our culture's definition of love. We are not going to be any good for our culture if we just let them define what the character of God is. What good are we going to do? We are not going to help Lahaina or our kids or our spouses or our island unless we live the type of love that God has defined for us. And here's the amazing truth. God has always been love, period. This is not something new. This is what has always been. He created us in love. He created us for his love. And what a missed opportunity for us if we choose a cheap, watered-down, fake alternative to God's true definition of love. You were made for this. You were made for a certain type of love. And so was your neighbor. So let's talk about the character of love. How does the Bible characterize love? How does the Bible define it? How does God define it? Start it with me in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. Boy. Uh, the Greek word here is agape. You might be, if there's, if there's a Greek word that people are familiar with, I'm betting it's agape. 
You, you may be familiar with this word. It's one of four different Greek words that get translated into English as love. Hence the confusion about ice cream and my children. Yes, it's not my fault. These words all have different categories. And generally speaking, generally speaking, when we are talking about it, there's really not that much confusion in the context, right? As you'll see when we go through these categories. There's not much confusion in context, but it's, it is worth being extremely clear here because uh, we have to get this right. We have to get this right. Um, when we say God loves you, I am not saying the same thing as I love ice cream. Yes? I have subject, verb, object, and we're not saying the same thing. Yes? We're not talking about the same quality of love that I have for, you know, ice cream as God has toward you. It's not the same quality of thing. We're not talking about the same thing, although we are using the same word. Um, so four words real quick. The first one is eros, okay? What was one word for love? It's, it's where we get our English word erotic from. It was used to describe romantic or sexual love, okay? Eros. That is not what we're talking about in this passage right here. The second one is this Greek word storge. And I looked it up. I tried to like, how do you pronounce this? So if any of y'all are smarter than me, then I'm sorry. That's how I'm pronouncing it. You just call it stork love if you like. It refers to family love, family love, the kind of love there is between a parent and a child or between siblings. It's very clearly talking about love within a family context. Okay? Make sense? You also have philia. It was another Greek word the Greeks used for love. This is what we term as brotherly love. Now, this doesn't mean family affection as we just talked about. This is like a love for a fellow human, a love for a person. This is where uh, William Penn named... Philadelphia, this is where this name comes from, the city of brotherly love. Delphia meaning city, the city of philia, the city of brotherly love, a place where people come together and they experience love. Wouldn't that be nice? I've seen Rocky, and I know that Philadelphia is not like that anymore. Uh, it describes a deep friendship and partnership. It might, be, it might be the highest form of love of which a person without God's help is capable of. And, and this is where a lot of people, you, you'll hear people say like, well, atheists can be good people too. And I'm like, oh, praise God. Like, can you imagine if the only people capable of any sort of love were Christians? That we, what, we would not be able to live in this world. Praise God that he has given general common grace to people in order to be able to experience empathy and love toward their fellow man. There are a ton of people helping in Lahaina right now that are not Christians because they feel this kind of love, right? Praise God for those people. Amen. Yes, thank you, Jesus, that you have not given us, like, to the lions, and we're the only ones who have any love at all, right? All three of these types of love can 100% be felt by people who do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But these three types of love are also not the type of love that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about a fourth type of love, and that is agape love. This is the word that Paul uses here in chapter 13. This is also the word that John used in those two scriptures that I read before from John chapter 13 and 17, where he says, this new command I give you, that you love one another. He doesn't say, I give you this new command that you philia one another. He says, I give you this command that you agape one another, right? So this is a new category of love here. Um, it, it, agape describes a love that is unchanging, a love that is unconditional, and a love that is self-giving, self-sacrificing. So let's go through these real quick. I, I've made two lists. 
I, I probably didn't leave you enough space in the bulletin insert to write all these things down, but they're written down for you in the Bible. So, but here, there's list number one, we're gonna go with love is and does. Okay, list number one is love is and love does. Here's the list. Love is patient and kind. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's what love is and does. Easy? Yeah, it's right there. Just do it. This sermon's done now. Second one, love is not and does not. Okay, here's the other list. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Easy? Yeah. So love is one section of things, and it does one section of things, and it is not and does not this other section of things. And I really wish that Paul had added, is impossible, so don't even try. That's, that's what I wish it said at the end of that list was, is impossible, so... Let's call it quits here. That's, that's not what he says. This is what Paul is asking of us. Now, we're going to talk about how this actually happens, and it's, it's not your effort, okay? But um, this is what Paul is asking of us. This, this is the perfection that Jesus is calling his followers to. Paul is asking us to be radically self-sacrificial, impossibly long-suffering, Truly and only Christ-like. This type of love is to be the mark of a Christian. The love that does not do those things and does those other things, this is the type of love that is supposed to mark Christians. This type of love is agape. This is what we are called to. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is, it's agape. Through the Spirit is agape. God's agape has less to do with emotion and everything to do with action. This is not to say that emotion has nothing to do with it. Agape is not, again, it's not less than emotion, but it is much more. Too often I hear people talk about joy and love and they're grumpy and mean, right? But they say, well, it's not an emotion, as if their emotions are somehow utterly separate from who they are. That's not the case. Love is not an emotion. It is much more, but it is not less than. Does that make sense? I think it's really important. Like, we want to just, some of us want to sit with resentment and look at the list. It is not irritable or resentful. And it's like, well, I'm irritable and resentful in my heart, but I was really nice to them. Paul's like, that's not good enough. That is not good enough. It's, it is not an emotion. We're not talking about this funny, like, fuzzy feeling. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something much more than that. Not less than. Something much more than that. Agape does not mean non-emotional just because our culture over-emotionalizes just about everything. We don't get to let our culture steal our emotions from us. It's ridiculous. No, it means the appropriate emotions are accompanied by self-sacrificing action. Does that make sense? The appropriate emotions are accompanied by action. And self-sacrificing, it will be. As we follow Jesus, this will be a journey of self-denial, but not self-denial for its own sake. Self-denial for the sake of your neighbor. Self-denial for the sake of your spouse. Sacrifice for the sake of your kids. Sacrifice for the sake of your neighbors that you can't stand. 
Part of you must die so that you can live in this new type of love. This is the character of love. This is the character of God toward us. This is what you are receiving from God, by the way. And we are being asked to be representatives of Christ to our towns, to our neighbors, toward our siblings, toward our spouses. If we are to be known for something, can we pray that the Lord would make us patient and kind? Can we pray that he would make us not arrogant or rude, not rejoicing at wrongdoing, no more, no more good for thems when it really isn't? Our neighbors desperately need true love, true love, and we have it. Now, we are going to just sit with that and come back to how this might be possible for us later, but just look at these lists, these is and is not, these do's and does nots. Look at what the Holy Spirit is asking of us as followers of Jesus. That is the character of love, and it's not changing. It's not, and praise God, but it's not changing. Paul is showing us in this passage, a third thing as well, and that is the endurance of love. Paul goes on to say, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. I know in part now, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So I want to ask a question. What, what will we not do in heaven? What will we not do? No mercy ministry in heaven. No fire cleanup in heaven. No evangelism in heaven. Everybody already knows. <laughs> yeah, we hear. <laughs> There's no prophecy in heaven because we see and we hear clearly. There's no speaking in tongues in heaven. Why? Because we're around the throne singing to Jesus in our tongue. Already, job's done. Why? Because all of those things serve the heavenly future and when we have it, they will cease. Love endures all things. Love endures all earthly evil and wickedness and death and sadness. It outlives them. Love outlives them. The Lord is not going to allow death and pain to infect forever, but love will endure. Evangelism is good. You must evangelize, but love is what remains. You must hear and speak the word of God, but love is what remains. Love is what remains. Love never ends, even in the perfect forever state. Paul says that when he was a child, he thought like a child, and, but when he became a man, he gave up childish things, right? What he's saying is that tongues and prophecy and ministry, mercy ministry, evangelism, all the rest, the gifts, work of the kingdom are like the childish things compared to the fully, truly grown things, which is union with Christ. Union with Christ. Being with him in perfect love and harmony and peace, we are being invited into love. We are not being invited into a ministry strategy. We are not being invited into a church growth model or a spiritual gifts test. We are being invited into perfect, full, eternal love that never ends. It never ends. 
Love is eternal. And, th- and this is why we must, to go back to the beginning of the message, get our definition of love from God. God, God. This is crazy. God did not become loving when he created you. Do you understand? But God, God has always been loving. God has always been in love as the Trinity forever. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit since the beginning have been in loving agape relationship from the start. When we were created, love was given to us by our Father, but it was not created with us. Love always has been. Love always has been. This has always been the center of God's character. Always. God has been in loving relationship with God since the beginning. This this is, once again, the Trinity mystery. But it's absolutely essential that we realize this. Love is not a cultural construct. It's not something we get to define for ourselves. Love has always been. Love has always been. It is essential to the character of an eternal God who never changes. Therefore, love never changes. Love never changes. And when we sinned and we separated ourselves from the true experience of that loving union, what Jesus did, dying on the cross, raising up again from the grave, he restores us to that loving relationship. Love did not change to bring you in, right? Love died so that we could be brought in. He didn't change the definition of love to just be okay with your sin. He died for it. 2 Peter chapter 1 says that through the work of Jesus, we have become partakers of the divine nature. That's one of those things, I always joke about this, that's one of those things that should be heresy if it wasn't in the Bible, right? That sounds like something more like paia than it is from the scriptures, but it's saying that you have become a partaker of the divine nature through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have been put back into love. You've been put back into love. We have become partakers of the divine nature. We have union with God, union with a God who is eternally and infinitely loving. We have been brought into a true experience of the agape love of God. Jesus, it says in Romans chapter 5, demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, his enemies, nailing him to the cross, his agape love worked on our behalf. Romans 5 does not say that God felt love toward us. It says God demonstrated his love toward us while we were still sinners. He died for us. And then Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 and says that nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God. No deserving now, only receiving the unstoppable, eternal, infinite love of the Father for us. That's what's left for us now, is to receive this love and to become a partaker of the divine nature without any earning or deserving to become a partaker of this type of love that has not changed since the beginning of the world and is never going to change, but is going to bring you in. This is why Paul can say with confidence that love is enduring because it's rooted in God and God never changes. God does not hope, right? God doesn't hope. God does not have faith. God is love. God is love, and God never changes. 
And so love is forever. It's so good. It's so good. And we are not now being asked to create love. We are being asked to redirect the overflow that we have. Does that make sense? We are not being asked to create something, to find good feelings in our hearts toward a person. We are being asked to redirect love that is overflowing. I, I joked about this at the beginning, but Pastor Kaipo always says this about financial giving. If you're new here, don't give until you have so much in your hands you can't help but, like, you know, it falls out. But, but I just want to say that that actually is truly what we have in the love of God. You may not feel that about your finances, but I can tell you that you ought to feel that about the love of the Father towards you, that you have so much you cannot hold it. We have so much to overflow if we will just see it. Well, Paul prays this for the Ephesians in chapter three, and maybe pray this for yourself today. He prays that they would have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. I love, he's like, I have to pray that you would have strength to comprehend this because it's so big, <laughs> right? I, I have to pray that you would have your borders widened, your margins extended so that you can have a full understanding of this type of love. It's so much. I got to pray that you would stretch so that you can hold all this stuff. We are being invited into a truly infinite and eternal love with the only person who can truly give us the love that we need to be truly full. As Augustine said 1,600 years ago, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There is no love, there is no love but God's that will keep us from restlessness. There is no love but God's that will keep us from wandering, only God's love is sufficient. But here's the thing, it's, it, it, it fills to overflowing. It fills to overflowing. There, there is no way to be patient and kind. There's no way to not envy or boast, to believe and hope and love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. There is no way to do this if you have not received, truly received in your heart the depth of the love that the Father has for you in Jesus. And I, I want to put this on the, like, on the human shelf here for a second and try to like, draw an analogy to the God shelf here. But if I know my wife and children truly love me, it is easier for me to treat difficult people with love and respect, right? Like if I know I'm coming home and my wife is going to look at me and love me and my children are going to be excited to see me, if I know that that's going to happen, I can deal with difficult people a little bit easier. Right? Is that true for you? That's true for me. Like, if I know I'm going home to a person who loves me, it's easier for me to deal with people who don't like me. Yeah? It is. It's just easier to know, like, hey, she's going to support me. It's going to be all right. Okay? This person does not like me anymore. That's fine, because I'm not in a forever covenant relationship with that person. <laughs> right? I, I'm good, because the one who said I do to me still loves me. So this person who, like, I probably won't see again does not like me anymore, and we're all right. Okay, I can handle that interaction a little bit better knowing that like when I come home, Matilda and Ivy are stoked to see me. Like that is cool for me, okay? If, 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 if I know that my friends support me too and care for me, it is easier to be sacrificial toward people who I would naturally not find in my circle, right? If, if, you're a, if you are a lonely person and, 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 and you, feel, you feel separate from people and you... You, you, the reality is you probably have a little bit lower capacity to show love to people. 
because you need, you need a lot, and that's okay. I'm, this is not a criticism. I'm just, this is an observation. Like, if I, got, if I got three buddies with me who love me and support me, guess what? It's easy to add the one friend who's, like, having a hard time because we've got enough love, right? When, when Valerie loves me, it's easy for me to love difficult people. When my friends support me, it's easy for me to extend myself and sacrificial love to someone else because I know that my guys have got me, right? That's what love does. And, and if, I, if that is true, if that is true of the love of friends and family, how much more should I know peace, knowing that I have the unconditional, truly eternal and sufficient love of the Father toward me? How much easier is it to love your enemies when you know you have a perfect father who really loves you? How much more, right? And, and, if, and I'll just say this because I can't, listen, stuff just happened on the west side, stuff happened in Kula. We got friends who are hurting right now. And it, I, I, I know there are people on this island who are doubting right now whether or not God loves them, right? And you read this scripture to them and you just say, listen, don't you get it? And they're like, my house, they don't get it at this moment, right? They don't feel the love of God toward them. So then what is now our job? Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus with the peace and the patience and the kindness and the endurance and the bearing all things until they see that that came from Jesus to them, right? And, but I, and I, I so, so listen, this is not a trauma counseling session for like, I can't teach you how to do that. Love your neighbors, that's all I got. But... I will say this about God, the, father, the love of the Father toward us. If we are, if we are concerned about the love of God toward us, I, I, would, I would just ask, and I, don't mean that, I do not mean this as a, a confrontation. I mean this as a, a genuine question. What, what greater pain could a child cause a father than for that child to doubt the love of the Father toward them? It, it, is, it, it will be, and I'm sure, listen, I got three daughters. They will all be teenagers someday, Lord willing, and I'm going to hear things from them. I promise it will be easier for me I've, to hear that they don't love me than for, them, for me to hear them say they don't think I love them. Does that make sense? Like, to hear their, them say, I don't love you. I'll be like, you will next week, you know? But <laughs> when I hear them say, like, I don't know if you love me, that's something I don't know if I could bear. And we look at the Father, and we look at Jesus dying on the cross to bring us in, and somehow we look at the Father, and we're like, I don't know if you love me. How can that be? Paul says in Romans 8, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us, how will he not much more with him give us all things? We look at the Father, we're like, I don't know, man. I don't know, you didn't give me that thing I asked for. He's like, bro, I gave you everything I had. Like, listen, God has heard that. God has heard a lot of times, I don't love you. God's heard that one. But I truly believe the Father's heart is broken when we look at him and we say, I don't know if you love me. Yo, he loves us. He loves us. And one of my favorite old songs, this guy, Rich Mullins, my mom raised me on this guy's music back in the day. But he, he has a song called The Love of God, and he says that the love of God is a reckless, raging fury. <laughs> and to that I say, amen. <laughs> right? Like there are so many times where I look at the love of God and I say, I would have not done it that way. <laughs> it is sometimes it's a reckless, raging fury. But we 
can look at God and we can look at Jesus on the cross and we can say, Father, I know you love me because you did not spare your only son from me. You did not keep your only son from me. You gave him up so that you could call me son. That's crazy love. That's nuts love. So we look at the father and we say, I know you love me because you would not spare your only son from me. And then we live out of that overflow. The father truly loves us. He has done everything to show us he truly loves us. He truly loves us with agape, forever, eternal love. Really does. And it will never end. So how do you love your enemies? How do you be patient and kind? How do you do the do's and avoid the do-nots that Paul has given us? You receive the love of the Father and live it out. It's, it's not easy, but it's simple. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's not easy to do, but it's a simple equation. You receive the love of the Father and then you give it away. You must be satisfied knowing that Jesus loves you, that the Father loves you, that the Spirit is living with you. You must be utterly satisfied in his love, and that will make you loving. This will make you patient and kind. This will make you bear burdens. This will make you rejoice with the truth. It will. When you know the Father loves you, it will make these things happen. And, and I want to end with, with three words here, these three E words. Agape has has three characteristics that this passage is going to give us that I want us to go home and just put our love to these three tests. Put our love to these three tests, all right? First test, agape love is enriching, okay? Agape love is enriching. Paul begins this passage, remember, he says, if I give all the way I have, if I speak in tongues, all these things, but I don't love, I gain nothing. Real agape love is a gain, Right? He's saying, if I do all these things, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Any sacrifice of time, of treasure, of talent that is not motivated by and rooted in love, Paul says this is of no credit to you at all. But when you do these things in genuine love, people are enriched. People are enriched. People are inspired. People are lifted up. Value is added to all of us. Agape has this ability to enrich everything it touches. Agape love has the ability to enrich everything it touches. This is not a pours out, gets nothing back. It's a rising tide lifts all boats situation. Does that make sense? Second, agape love is edifying. It's enriching. It builds things up. It, 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 it rises things, but it is also edifying. It means that we are sharing what we have. We are giving what we have in a way that improves the mind and character of the people that we're around. Right? In chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Yeah? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Sometimes we want to gain and impart knowledge just to show people how much we know. Right? This is the danger of every preacher. (laughs) Am I just up here to share stuff that I know? Paul tells us in 13.4 that love is patient and kind. Well, the the Corinthians were impatient and irritable. (laughs) But love would make them kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. The Corinthians were insisting constantly on their personal preferences over the preferences of others. That's what all of chapter 14 is going to be about. They were boastful and arrogant with the gifts that they had, which created this class of spiritual elitism and separated people, which in turn created resentment by those that were excluded or considered less spiritual because they didn't possess these desired gifts. And love doesn't do any of that. 
Love edifies, not just those with the gifts, but it edifies all. The gifts are used to edify all. These kinds of divisive, unloving attitudes still exist in our church today, right? A church that has a more charismatic expression of these spiritual gifts may look at a church that doesn't and say, well, we're the spirit-filled church, right? Or on the other side, a a more conservative Bible-teaching church would look at their charismatic neighbor and say, you're unbiblical, and we've got the corner on the spirit of truth, right? But Paul says genuine Christian love removes these boundaries, these barriers. It replaces a desire for self-gain with a desire to put others first. And, and, and how do we do that? We, again, we know these things by receiving the love of God and we say, I don't need to prove I'm right right now. I need to love my brother. I, I don't need to impress these people. I need to love these people. So love is edifying because it sets ourselves aside. It looks at the needs of others and it builds them up. And this is the cool thing, you guys. Like, I see this with my children. Like, if there's a snack, right, and they both really like it, Matilda and Ivy both really like it, what do they do? They try to grab as much as they can as fast as they can. Why? Because they don't trust that their parents have given them enough. That's it, right? And they think, oh, Ivy thinks Matilda's going to take it all. Matilda thinks Ivy's going to take it all. And when you come to church with that mindset and you're like, I got to get mine, the only person serving you at that point is you. That's a one-for-one thing. But what about, I don't know, you come to church with 150 people and you say, I'm going to love this person, and then 149 people try to love you. That sounds like a better equation to me, right? We come in greedy. We're like, oh, I got to get mine because I don't know. Just come into love, and maybe your neighbor will too, hey? And then all of a sudden, there's 149 people loving you instead of just yourself. (laughs) And now there's more snack on the table, right? So... Next week, bring a snack. Okay? There you go. Immediate application. And one more thing to talk about with edifying. He says this. To be truly edifying, it must not rejoice at wrongdoing. You, You can't be loving and building people up by allowing them to walk in willful sin on the path to their own destruction. You cannot love them. Yeah, it, it, it must, he says, rejoice with the truth. A truth that calls sin, sin, and calls brothers and sisters into holiness. But here's what's amazing. Love also goes beyond speaking the truth. And it says that we bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. And this is why it's so necessary that we attach ourselves to the love of God. You cannot love this way without him. You cannot speak the truth to a a brother, sister who's in sin and continue bearing with them in love unless you have the love of God. You cannot. You'll take it personally when they don't listen to you. We must get it from him. And the last thing here, we'll just reemphasize this again, love endures. Love endures. Love endures mistreatment. It endures pain. It endures loss. It endures the success of another when you wanted it. Love goes on forever. And when we are in the presence of God in heaven, we will no longer need faith. (laughs) We will have no need of hope. But we will love. And we will be loved and we'll be fully satisfied in his love forever. Don't stop loving when it gets hard. 
Jesus wouldn't quit. Jesus won't quit. And so we must not quit as his followers. We must not quit. And as we see, Jesus is never stopping, always pursuing this never giving up type of love toward us. We will persevere in love. So look to the love of Jesus. Find it and you'll give it away. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you so much for your love. I, I thank you, Jesus, for your unspeakable generosity to us in love. Jesus, we have everything that we need in you and so much more. I just pray, Father, that we would find it, we would find it in ourselves to look to you and be satisfied. Holy Spirit, that's a work that only you can do. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So I just pray, God, that we would right now find faith in your love, that we would find rest in your love, that we would find peace and rest and grace in your love. Jesus, you are so good to us. Help us, God, be good to our neighbors. We have been given so much. Help us to give away what we can. Help us to be the type of Christians who edify, who build up, who enrich our community. Help us to be the Christians who endure in love. Lord, our, our island needs us right now to be Christians who persevere in love. Our families need us to be people who persevere in love. Help us, God, to persevere. Jesus, we need you. We need you, we need you. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're going to sing one more song on the way out. We will have a prayer team. Okay, if anybody needs prayer, we would love to pray with you and for you.
Thank you.